Oh, snap, snap, snap. The world is finally waking up to the crap that's baked into and sprayed on kibble dog food. No longer can commercial pet food manufacturers fool us with pretty pictures and false promises. This is the raw dog food truth. The view and opinions expressed on this podcast are not intended to replace medical advice. Before starting any raw diet, do research, ask lots of questions, and consult your vet. Well, hello, raw feeders. I'm Dee Dee Mercer Moffat, the CEO of Raw Dog Food and Company, where your pet's health is our business. And friends, don't let friends feed kibble. Well, it is Friday. It is a freaking good Friday because Dr. Judy Jasek is here. How are you? On this uh, first podcast after the new year, I'm I'm doing good. I, like I said, I had a little. We had a little break. We just kind of laid low over New Year's and had to kind of catch our breath. And now jumping into the new year, I think it's going to be a big year. I think there's going to be a lot of shifts in our culture, our economy, our government. I don't know if it's going to be good or bad, but I think there's going to be a lot of a lot of change this year. So I'm kind of looking forward to that. I think things need to get a little shook up and, you know, so we can, I don't know, go, go, a, go a different direction in our culture. God knows we need some, need some changes. We need new medical systems. We need so much, so much to change. And I'm, I, I'm just hoping this is going to be a pivotal year. I can kind of feel it like something's, something's got to happen. I, I was listening to a, um, it was a recording from a Catherine Austin Fitz and it was a, it was a back cast. And so she invited a bunch of people on and said, okay, it's 2030 and 2023 was the pivotal year where things really changed. And what's it like now in 2030? And they all got on there and said, oh, you know, kind of painting this rosy picture of what the world, you know, could be like in seven years, but it, it was at least, um, you know, I don't know if any of it will happen, but it was at least encouraging to think about, okay, what, what can be different and, and better? Cause I'm really tired of listening to bad news. It just gets so depressing. So I like, what, what can we do to make things better in the world? So that's, that's what I'm trying to think about. Yeah. I, I hope this shift doesn't knock us on our butt or stand us on our heads. But uh, you know, we will see. As as you and I know, we've been we've been um, fighting a fight for much longer than when this whole COVID thing came out. Oh, yeah. I've been fighting the fight um, against the traditional um, health protocols. We've been fighting the fight against the FDA. So we've been in this for a long time, and and quite frankly, been fighting the fight against some pet parents who push back when they, you know, want to feed a substandard food, whether that Uh be financial or not. And, you know, Rick and I were talking about this as we were driving the other day, because somebody had said, Hey, I don't want to pay $300 a month for raw dog food for my dog. Okay. So it was a large dog Uh, because that would be, uh, or maybe they had three dogs. I can't remember. Um, And they're already spending something, Dr. Jasek. It's not like you can't not feed your dog. Right. So let's say that you are feeding, I don't know, 125, 150 already in substandard food. So now you've got to come up with another 150 a month. And we said, if you were a Starbucks coffee drinker or any type of mm-hmm. a coffee drinker, those drinks are at least $5, if not seven and eight. Mm-hmm. One of those a day would pay for that dog food. So can you find seven or eight more dollars a day? Can you find that? And I, talking to the pet parents that come over, they have been able to do that. And you and I have said this for a very long time, although I understand because listen, I got to pay for stuff too. I got to pay for my own food. I got to, you know, my electricity bill. We're all in the same boat, right? right? We're, we're all paying more um, everywhere we go right now. But it is a matter of, do you want to, or can you? And those yeah. are two di- very different positions. Yeah. I think money and time 
are both in most cases more more about priority than can't. I'm sure there's some people that just truly don't have the money to pay, but I bet we don't even see those people, to be honest. I, I think, you know, they're just living a different lifestyle and they're not reaching out for holistic care or even considering something like raw feeding. If they're just truly just don't have the funds, um, they sh- shouldn't even have pets, in my opinion, though I know pets bring a lot of benefit, but if you can't take care of them properly, in my opinion, then you should think twice about having them or having multiple dogs. Like when I talk to people, the multiple big dogs, I'm like, I can't afford that. Well, maybe you should have thought of that before you got multiple big dogs. And if you can't take care of them, then why do you keep getting more? You know, I know people want to help pets and rescue them, but then if you can't afford to give them good care, then, you know, how much, how much good are are you really doing them? But yeah, we, we can all trim our budgets. I mean, you know, it's, I think money is one of those things. If you have more, you just, you spend more. If you have to tighten things up, you can go through and say, okay, where can, where can we cut corners? And it's a, you know, it's a matter of priority. You know, we, my husband and I, we really value our health. So we buy really healthy food and we do things like massages and we go to the chiropractor and we love to be active and we want to stay active. So we, put resources that direction, but you know, our vacations are camping, you know, like we're not, we're not, you know, spending tons of money on, you know, European vacations and stuff. That's sort of, you know, a trade-off. We like to be active and we put a lot of money into staying healthy. So that's, you know, that's our priority, but everybody has to make that choice. And, you know, I, I agree. I think most people could trim the budget just, you know, I mean, how many, TV stations do you have, you know, like 300? Really? Do you need that many? <laughs> like right. Some of these plans. I mean, I, you know, I've known people that pay hundreds of dollars a month for their cable or direct TV. I mean, we don't have that stuff. So I don't know what it costs now, but I've, we've got friends that have spent a enormous amount of money and that's fine. Not saying there's anything wrong with that, but then could you pay a hundred dollars less on your cable bill and put that towards raw food and maybe only have 200 stations to watch, which you can only watch one at a time anyway. So it's <laughs> a many, but, but yeah, right. I agree. I think it is more, it's definitely more about priority than, um, than really can't. It's a matter of where you decide to spend your money and, and how people feel about rot. I, I think there are some people, they just, for whatever reason, they just don't feel right about feeding raw. They just don't want to do it. So they're always going to find a reason why it's, why it's not going to work. And then, you know, don't waste our time then, I guess. <laughs> if you're really not going to do it, then why should we waste our breath trying to t- talk to you about the, the advantages? If you know, you're not going to do it, well then go someplace else and buy whatever food you're going to end up buying anyway, and let us move on and help somebody that really is interested in raw feeding. That's yeah. my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, we've kind of taken a hard stance on that. Although I do see some of our, you know, um, uh, cohorts out there, um, other people that are in the industry will advocate for half raw, half kibble. Um, I think we just have seen that it doesn't benefit the dog, right? Uh, As Neely says, if you're still going to shove in poisons or toxins, why even spend the money on raw? Right. So we, we just don't see that. And I'll tell you one thing are these toppers and you and I have talked about this, but man, I do see a lot of people doing toppers and then they wonder what's going on with their dog, why they're uh, bloaty, why they're gassy, why their poops aren't good. Um, you know, why they're having the itchies. And so I, I, that's really been a first question that I ask, you doing any toppers? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I'm doing Dr. So-and-so's okie doke. Well, let's take a look at that. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. can we just get basic? Can we get basic? Um, you know, and and do that. And you know, I will say this that um there are a lot of people that try to do a home-based diet, okay, a home raw diet. Um, but if you look at a lot of the problems out there that we see 
um, they're not very well balanced. And, you know, I don't love that word balance, but they don't have any bone or they don't have any ligaments or they don't have any organs um, or somebody's just feeding straight organs or somebody is just feeding, you know, fish all the time. Um, and these things will cause problems. So let's don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. We must do a variety, okay, a variety of foods. We can't just feed a dog one thing all the time. And, you know, we have fought for a long time doing the subscription um, diets where you can just say, okay, I want this diet for the next six months. Because, mm -hmm. because we want you to rotate and we know that that is not good for the dog, but I'm telling you, Dr. JC, people are wanting it. So I don't know. I don't know. We get hit up with that all the time. And I guess we could have a disclaimer on there that says feeding the same thing over and over and over again without a rotational, at least four different type proteins in there is not the best for your dog. I don't know. You know, right. it's a, the, the, the public, um, does change the way that companies do business. Now we're never going to compromise on a lot of things, but what do you think about that on having a subscription out there where people can just easily reorder? I mean, it's convenient. It's convenient. So their convenience kills. Right. So they just have like the same food. They would just be reordering or it's like, a, is it like an. Um, kind of like an auto ship thing. Is that yeah. what you mean? Yeah. yeah, it's an auto ship thing. And and it's got it. I mean, if I'm going to do it, it's got to be a way where you could almost say, okay, you can only auto ship the same thing. <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to be the pet police, but somehow I got to send a note with every, with every shipment and say, are you rotating? Are you getting different models and different proteins in the diet? Cause it's causes issues if you don't. Yeah, I I don't know. I think that would really compromise the health of of your patients because then people are not thinking. They're just on autopilot. You know, they're doing auto ship and they're on autopilot. And I think people need to think about what they're feeding and think about why they're rotating and why this method of feeding works. You know, people want easy. They want just one solution. Okay, give me tell me the one balanced diet that I can just put my pet on and feed them for the rest of their life. And that's never going to be an ideal diet for dogs because dogs are natural scavengers. They thrive on, on all this variety. I mean, unless you had like, you could put a package together, like maybe, maybe you could put a package together that had different proteins. Like these, these combinations are available for auto ship. So then you've got some different proteins in there. So their auto ship is already has that variety built in but yeah and that that would be our variety boxes right so we have many mm -hmm. variety boxes and maybe i don't know that's a good idea we'll we'll take a look at that but that's something that you know people are really really asking for because i think a lot of companies do that right there's mm -hmm. not and a, and a lot of companies i will say don't necessarily have the high level of education that i think that we bring to the table right? People right. like you and Neely and Dr. Andy and everybody else, you know, Dr. Todd Cooney and, and uh, highlighting Dr. Faulkner and uh, all these different people. Um, I, I think that again, it's just this, this convenience thing is, is not going to slow down, Dr. Jasek. It's not going to slow down mm -hmm. in this world. No. And so many other companies do that. You know, people can go to, you know, Chewy.com or Amazon or all the big online companies, everybody offers auto ship, you know, so I, I get where it would be convenient. And, you know, like for your business, it would prevent people from like, oops, I missed my deadline. And then they just run out to the store and buy some other, you know, raw food because um, they ran out and they, you know, could, couldn't get their order in on time and can't make it out to the warehouse or whatever. So, you know, it would, it, in that respect, it would keep the diet, you know, more consistent or heaven forbid they go buy a bag of kibble because they're out of food. Um, but I know that kind of thing happens because I've heard that from our clients too. Like, oh, dang, I miss the, you know, miss the 
miss the deadline and then they just run out and grab something. So they got something to feed their dog or they put something together. So I can see if they just call me. I will help them get it. Okay. Call me. <laughs> okay. I'll, t- right. I'll tell them. That. We're, we work with a lot of people that do that all the time. It's like, yeah, no problem. You know, it's just that we can't have everybody missing their deadline or we wouldn't have the staff to fill the pallets to get them out. Right. So, well, you I, know, I you totally get it. You know, it's, it's uh so you, but, but we do everything we can to help people not do that. But we hope that more people will talk to their friends about the benefits of raw. And I think the, the raw things getting out, I was telling Neely on one of the podcasts, I don't know if you take pet food industry, Dr. Jacek, but they are really pushing the narrative for uh, vegetarian cats food during cat food that they don't see any adverse reactions that they don't see any issues with feeding uh cats uh vegan food and after all we must save the world and so if we come at it from this narrative of you know like they did you're going to kill grandma if you don't get your you know flu shot or your vaccine shot um Mm -hmm. it's like we're going to kill the world if we don't all eat plants. And yet another podcast that I really want to do is where I was reading in Dr. Connor Brady's book. He was talking about this insoluble and soluble, you know, plant fiber that goes into dog food and how that, that really is one of the things that causes a lot of bloat in dogs, Uh but we're going to give it to them. We're just going to make this food for them that isn't really going to be healthy for them. I don't get it. Are we wrong? Are we crazy? Are we wrong? Do we do it? Is it possible for dogs to live and cats to live on a vegan diet? I don't, I don't, I don't <laughs> think I, it's, I don't think it's healthy for humans personally, unless you really, really are able to balance it well. But um, I, I've known a lot of people that, you know, eat vegan diets that, you know, have nutritional deficiencies because they're not doing a proper diet and but people are at least where i think we're a little more um, adapted eating plants i think our systems are designed to eat more plants than dogs dogs and cats are carnivores cats are obligate carnivores that means that they should be eating meat only really not even any vegetable fiber um i don't i don't really think they need it um i see um, some pets get into trouble eating ferments, you know, there's brands out there that put fermented veggies in and things like that aren't always bad, but I see some pets that just doesn't agree with them. And if they're eating a product that's got that kind of thing in, or just lots, you know, some raw products out there have lots of added ingredients. And that's one of the things I really like about your products is they're just so basic, they're just so basic. We we're just remove so many variables that could potentially be causing problems. And then if, you know, somebody wants to feed their dog a little sauerkraut a few times a week or something, sure. But then, you know, you, you, it's like you said, it's not all blended up. So, you know, you feed your dog that product. If, how does the dog respond to it? Good or bad, good, bad. Otherwise, you know, then, you know, sauerkraut agrees with the dog, doesn't agree with the dog or same with some of the some of the veggies. I think if you start with a good basic blend and then you can try adding some of that in, I I see a big variety in response to produce. If somebody says, my dog won't eat food if there's any kind of vegetable in it. And I say, don't feed them then. You don't need them. But if they really like them, maybe, you know, there's some advantage in feeding the, uh, the microbiome. I think the veggie fiber sometimes can feed the bacteria in the gut and that can be an advantage. So again, we, we look at the patient, we don't ever feed them crap. I don't ever recommend feeding like real starchy stuff, but you know, if they like a little produce in the diet, then, you know, sure. But, but monitor individual response. Don't just have it all blended up because some, you know, computer program told you that that is proper nutrition. That's what happens. That's what a lot of, you know, we were talking about um, nutritionists and how sometimes some of these diets, I don't think are all that great. Well, that's what they do. They literally have a computer program and they have all these nutrients like nailed down to exactly how much should be. And then you add 
you know, different foods or different, um, sometimes it's even different supplements. Sometimes it's synthetics. Most of these diets that I've seen have synthetic nutrients in them. And then they're all programmed to create this quote unquote balance as like recommended by AFCO, which we know is not necessarily well-balanced, uh, but then you're just feeding so many different ingredients and a lot of synthetics. And I just don't think that's, and then if the dog isn't doing well, you don't know what, what the issue is. I mean, we can get down to like just the real basic blends like yours, meat, bones, and organs. Then I feel like I have a much better chance of sorting things out because we're not giving the body so many things to process. And then we can figure out by adding different things in, you can start to experiment what is going to be best for that individual. But I think too many people are just looking for the one size fits all. Just tell me what's the best diet for my pet. And the answer is it depends. And a lot of people don't like that answer. They want like, nope, I just want to know what's the thing I can feed my dog for the rest of its life. And you know, it doesn't work for people either. Like we all change what we eat as our bodies change as we get older. And the same thing happens in pets. So you have to look at your pet and how is your pet responding? And it's not like, oh, something doesn't go right the first time you feed raw. So raw food must be bad. Like, no, we need to look at that individual and how can we help support that in that individual? So it's, there just is no one size fits all in, in any part of health. And I think that's a big paradigm shift for a lot of people. Um, I think a lot of our culture has been programmed to just give me the pill. Give me the one thing. Give me the one diet. How many books on diets are there out there for people? You know, it's the Atkins diet, and the keto diet and all this and all that. Why are there so many? Because everybody's different and you have to find the diet that works best for your body. And it's the same for pets. Yeah. But think about this. Why don't human beings say, oh, I'm so confused about what to eat. There's so much conflicting information out there. You don't hear people say that. They try it and it doesn't work. They move on. So I don't get why people say, I'm so confused about feeding a raw diet. There's so much conflicting information out there. It's like, well, start. Um, maybe you you align with the barf diet. So you go that way. Maybe you align with the cook diet. You go that way. Um, and then you see where your pet is. And then you continue to study. But Mother Nature has not really ever led us down the wrong path, Dr. Jasek. And what you said is exactly what we do. We do what's in nature, right? We're not mm -hmm. adding right. stuff that's not in nature, that that isn't replicating what a wolf or a coyote uh, would eat in the wild. And so I don't know how you can go wrong um, other or or why there's so much confusion other than there's fear. And that fear is being played upon, right? You're going to kill your dog. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. And um, as I was looking in Dr. Connor Brady's book uh, that Neely gave me for Christmas, you know, he says, look, I don't, I don't know why, and I'm paraphrasing in this one section, he says, I don't know why we continue to feed our dogs processed foods when we know that processed foods are not good for humans or pets. Mm -hmm. Oh, why do we continue to do that? And he also talks about the veterinary nutritionist, this nutritional training that you're kind of seeing people go through. And it's expensive, I will say. Mm -hmm. um, and he said, they're chiefly concerned with feeding dry, ultra processed diets. That's what their chief concern is. And he says this is potentially a way for pets to be harmed. But he mm -hmm. said that that people tend to think that there's nowhere else to go, or maybe they think, you know, we don't know come here from Sikkim because we don't have that veterinary uh, nutritional training. And yet we've been doing this. We, me, you, our whole crew that we um, refer people to um, for for decades and and really look at the results. And certainly someone like you, who's seen patients come in. So um, again, it, I don't know. I don't know that something's happened to our brain in the world. It's like, please don't think, no, no, no. Do not 
think not good for you. We'll tell you what to do. And that's never going to be a good thing as we've seen over the past couple of years. Right. Yeah. I think it gets tougher. I think what is really tough for people too, is that so many conventional vets animately speak out against feeding raw. Um, You know, as you know, I work with a lot of cancer patients and if they, if a client will go, goes and talks to a conventional oncologist, cause they want to get their take on what's going on. They will almost always tell them like if, if they're feeding raw or, you know, I've talked to them about raw and they're, and they ask the oncologist, the oncologist will say, oh no, absolutely not. You know, your dog has cancer, they're debilitated. Don't feed them that food that's high in bacteria. And if people are even thinking about chemo, um, and I, and I do still have some clients that go down that road, even though it's not what I recommend, um, they will say, oh, we were, you know, compromising your dog's immune system. So don't feed them that raw food. Those are the dogs that need the raw food the most because they need good nutrition. And, and the thing is like the oncologists, they really know nothing about nutrition. All they say is don't feed raw, feed any other, any kind of kibble, anything else, but just don't you know, just don't feed raw. And they, of course, really don't know anything about it. They don't know anything about raw feeding. But I think when people get conflicting information from different, you know, um, medical professionals, I think that makes it even more confusing. Plus, there's a lot of, you know, information out there online, of course, but when they go into a vet, and they want to do the right thing for their pet, I mean, they really want to do the right thing. But then, they're, they, you know, go talk to their conventional vet and oncologist and they'll, you know, they'll say, you're going to kill your dog feeding that, you know, raw food. That's, that's the worst thing. I mean, I, I can see where, where people get confused and, you know, I, you know, people, I think you need to, people need to take accountability and get educated and make a decision, you know, which, which way you want to go with, with your pet's health and, um, think people have gotten used to being told what to do. And then then when they're being told different things, then it gets really confusing. Well, that's where you need to get education and make your own decision and stick by it. And at least try it, do do something to try it for a month, just try diet change for a month, you know, see, see what happens. Usually in that amount of time, you get a dog off kibble and onto a fresh raw diet most dogs are going to be doing so much better. It's just, it's just going to be so obvious that that's better for them. I mean, I see patients do that 180 all the time. And if, you know, they need more help, we can provide more help supporting their body in that transition, but at least try it. You know, if baby steps are easier, don't make a lifelong commitment. Try it for two weeks. Just get used to it. Get used to the idea of it. Sometimes it's just different is just hard because people get used to their routines It's yeah, it's easy to just throw some kibble in a bowl and let your dog eat that. But feeding raw really isn't that hard. You know, when you're using blends like this, it's all fawn feed. It's really pretty easy. So, so just try it and see what you notice in your pet, you know, put all the information aside for a second and make a change and just see what you notice in your pet. You can always go back. But most, most of the time, the improvement is going to be so profound, you, you won't dream of going back. You're like, it'll be so obvious that this is better for your pet. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I had uh, someone reach out the other day, um, just through our chat um, section on, on, the, um, on the website. And what they were looking for was organless blends. They really said, look, um, we have an elderly dog and he just can't eat organs. And I know that you have dealt with, um, and so basically they said, look, if you would make this, this would be a great, um, this would be a great product. And we do have some organless blends. Okay. Like when we have venison, venison doesn't have organs in it. We do have a couple of, a couple of other ones like uh, coarse ground beef with bone doesn't have organs in it. But by and large, I, I, the question was if a dog, well, the statement from 
uh, the chat site was, we need a product that is only beef and, and light bone, no organs, because we have an elderly dog and you need this product mm. for sick dogs. Because sick dogs can't digest organs. Now, that's not been my experience. That's not what I understand. But I just wanted to ask you mm. what your thoughts were there. I, I would say a sick dog probably needs more organs. Not enough to give them diarrhea or anything, but organs are so nutritious. When they're sick, they need that extra nutrition. So, I mean, that would be like the last thing I would pull out. And I don't find that they're hard to digest. Um, I find that, you know, every dog, dogs tolerate different amounts. Some dogs, if, you know, they get too much organ, they might get a little soft stool or a darker stool, then, you know, okay, you need to back off or make sure that you're balancing that with an appropriate amount of bone, which helps firm up the stool. But no, I have, I've never, I, I've, I've not actually heard anybody say that. I don't think that, that, right. oh, my dog can't digest organs. That really, that statement really doesn't make sense to me. I, I would say maybe somebody told them that or they just decided that that was the case, but no, that I've not experienced that at all. Yeah. I found it. And it said a weak, sick dog only benefits from vitamins in the organs. If they're able to digest it, organ meat is harder to digest often causes diarrhea and is unpredictable in a mix since the feeder cannot know exactly which organs go in the mix. Well, that's not true. All the organs are listed in the ingredient list. Um, the other, the next section says our ideal would be a rabbit mix, 80% meat, 20% bone. Now, if it's Ooh, 20%, <laughs> yes, I was like, well, if it's 20% bone and this is a dog with a messed up GI, uh, this is the statement, a dog with a messed up GI is better off with the least ingredients no added superfoods. We don't do that. Or veggies or vitamins. We do have a 7% uh, veggie mix in the HVMs. But she said, um, if you would come out with a product like this, you could advertise it as an ideal basic mix. To which we said, no, we don't believe that is a good mix. I don't think if a dog cannot digest organ meats, how can they digest 20% bone? Yeah, that's just what I was thinking. I, 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 I think organs are probably like one of the easiest things to digest and they're so nourishing, you know, um, from a like Chinese medicine, like food perspective, like anything that is rich and bloody, you know, like organs are, they're extremely nourishing and they're like blood builders. They actually build up the body. They're exactly what you want to be feeding a debilitated animal. So did, did she mention where she heard that, that debilitated animals can't digest organs? Cause I don't think that's at all true. Yeah. Uh, no, nope. I did not get that information. Uh, but I did say, if you would like to set up a consult with Dr. Judy Jasich, <laughs> they could probably help you get a uh, diet that's balanced uh, for your dog. So 20% bone, I would say most dogs aren't going to be able to poop that out. They're going to be really constipated on that. That's a lot of bone. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that um, cause our, our traditional uh, veterinaries to say that a raw diet messes up dogs because there are many combinations out there that don't make sense that maybe people assume that their dog can't digest organs. Um, I don't think it's that they can't digest the vitamins and minerals that are in organs. I don't, I don't think that's the case at all. I think it's what you said that quite possibly um, somebody has had too many organs and there's been loose stools. That's easy, easily fixed, easily fixed. Right. Or the digestion needs, you know, needs 
some support. If there is a digestive issue, maybe we need to do things to help heal a leaky gut or reduce inflammation in the gut. There are going to be lots of things going on with the gut that might show up as a symptom that they are associating with the organs and making this assumption that their dog cannot digest the organs. But no, I, I don't think that um, that would be the case at all. There's something always, like we always say, there's definitely more to the picture on that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe they're um, using a topper. Who could be, <laughs> could be. Um, okay. So I have another question and we've talked about dogs that go in for a, whatever they're going in for, could be a spay neuter, could be just a checkup, um, but they get some blood work done and the blood work shows that they have uh, your urlichia, right? So that the dog has been exposed to some type of toxin from a tick bite. Okay, the question is this. This question came in from one of our dear customers who said that their traditional vet, because they got this urlichia information back, wanted to do a PCR God, I hate that word today. Mm, the piece, a, a PCR test on the dog um, to see if there were, I believe, antibodies. Uh, I'm not really sure. But a PCR test to decide whether they're going to go into a round of doxycycline. So what would you say uh, would be the next best line of defense here or next best step for this owner. If we get this urlichia in a blood test, do we ignore it? Do we move on? If the dog's not symptomatic, do we wait till the dog's symptomatic? Is he ever going to get symptomatic? Yeah. If the dog were not at all symptomatic, I would probably think about doing like immune support or like maybe an herbal, um, there's some, there's some pretty good like herbal antiparasitics out there that, that you could do that, that I think, you know, could, could potentially help with that. I, I don't ever advocate the long-term doxycycline because dogs, when they're put on doxycycline for a tick-borne disease, it's usually months worth. And I just, and then but, the, but then we also hear that these tick-borne diseases are chronic. So is it chronic because of this organism or chronic because of all these chronic meds that they're on, you know, what's really causing the, causing the problem. And I think, I don't know, even if the dog were, were showing some symptoms, I, I'd be hesitant to do the, the long-term doxycycline. I know that's a, that's a standard treatment. Um, but if I, if the dog were really sick and if I were going to use doxycycline at all, I might do it short-term while I'm doing other things to help build up the immune system. I, I think there's, you know, the, the tick-borne diseases, just because they are so chronic, whenever we hear that, it's, it becomes a chronic thing, then it's not just about this microorganism because if it was just this organism in there that spread by a tick and the antibiotics were killing it, that should happen within a couple of weeks. They shouldn't need to be on months and months and months of antibiotics ever for anything, in my opinion. If an antibiotic is an appropriate treatment, it does its job. So why are we having this, these sort of chronic symptoms and, and doxycycline also does work as an anti-inflammatory in the body. It's, it's also used sometimes in autoimmune disease. So it has some other effects. So I think we need to look at what's really going on in the body. What are the symptoms and making sure, you know, we're supporting the pet with good nutrition and maybe some immune building herbs and, you know, there's, like I said, there's antiparasitic herbs that are safe. You could put the dog on those for a month. I feel a whole lot better about that. Um, I don't know that another test is really going to, would really change that for me. You know, I mean, I think it might be good to do like a follow-up test, whatever test was run in maybe six months or so, and see if the dog 
you know, um, test negative at some point. I mean, I usually do that with dogs that test positive for heartworm. I'll do a, um, like if we do an herbal treatment or whatever we decide to do, and I do recommend testing every six months until they test negative. So I probably do that, but I, I don't think doing another test is, would, would change how I approach the pet. And we all know that lab testing not always so accurate, especially these PCR tests. We learned a lot about, I, I know a lot more about PCR tests now, thanks to COVID than I ever did before. I always thought they were like a more accurate form of testing was kind of how the lab would present them. But now we know, like, it depends on how many cycles you run. And if you run enough cycles in a PCR test, uh, anything, a banana would test positive to, you know, like, so it depends on how the tests are run. Um, so I, I think I would focus on treating the patient and supporting the, the patient more than running more tests. And, you know, conventional medicine is set up to really, it's not set up to treat patients. It's set up to treat diagnoses. And so that's why, like, you know, when I work with a cancer patient, like a conventional vet can't treat a cancer until they have a biopsy and they have a name for the cancer and they have a stage for the cancer. And then they can plug that into their medical algorithm and know what to treat it with. And so the more that they can name a certain diagnosis, the more con conventional or standard of care treatment options they have. But again, they're just treating a diagnosis. They're not treating the pet. When you look when you're really looking at the pet and treating the pet, then um, that just creates a whole different scenario and a whole whole bunch more treatment options. It's so crazy. It's so crazy just the stuff that we can get involved with and follow down a rabbit hole, isn't it? And, and speaking of rabbit holes, have you looked at any more of this mRNA rabies vaccine? I haven't, I haven't, I mean, I haven't looked into it. I haven't heard any more about it. Um, you know, I, I'm so distrustful of what comes out of big pharma these days. And that, and that's where this is coming from. This is all advertising. Like you can't really believe the advertising. Um, and, uh, you know, if somebody, if there's a brand new vaccine out and they're like, oh, it's safer, it's this or it's that. I would never use it. I would never use it on my patients until it's been out, you know, at least a couple of years and see what happens out in the real world. Cause I can guarantee you these things are not being tested. They come out with all these great marketing claims, but what kind of testing have they actually done and real world, real world testing? Like they don't give, give these things to pets out in the real world and real world circumstances and see what the effects are. If they're tested on anything, it, might be laboratory animals, which are, even if they're testing them on dogs, they're not, they're genetically different than they breed dogs specifically um, to test things on them in the lab. It's pretty sad, but that is what, you know, that is what happens. And I, I would, my advice to people would be, do not make your pet a guinea pig. Um, I, I mean, I recommend minimizing vaccines as much as absolutely possible anyway, but certainly don't give anything new, don't believe marketing claims that a certain vaccine is safer or better. Um, you know, let, but, but, you know, somebody else be the guinea pig. Like not that, not that I think that that's a good thing, but don't, don't, don't set your pet up for a big reaction or a whole bunch more, you know, disease and inflammation, um, giving them some unknown product, just, you know, you'd be better off giving the conventional vaccines that have been around for years. And we know that they have side effects, but I think the effects could be way worse than some of these new vaccines. And I mean, they don't, we know they're not testing products very well in people. Do you think they're testing them in pets? I, I doubt it. Well, that's, that was my next question. I mean, we, we uh, you know, we've got to start, um, do we have a VAERS system for pets? Is there actually a, 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 um, a place that people can go for the adverse effects that happen when they take their pets in? Is there any kind of system like that? Not that I'm aware of. I don't, I don't think so. Not an, not an official 
reporting system. No, I don't think so. So I'll uh, so so we can keep all of that sort of under under wraps, right? Yeah, we just don't we just don't acknowledge it. I mean, I have sent pets in. I mean, there's been some instances where I've seen pets with really pretty serious like neurologic conditions and things like that after a vaccine and I'm thinking, "Oh, this is a vaccine reaction." And people will go in, take their pet into a a specialist like a neurologist and they'll say, "Well, we don't know what is idiopathic, right? They don't know what causes it, but they're 100% certain it wasn't the vaccine that the dog had last week. They don't know what causes it, but they know it's not the vaccine. Now, how does that make any sense? There's just this block that like, unless the reaction to the vaccine is immediate, you know, the dog, you know, breaks out in hives or, you know, collapses in anaphylactic shock, is just not recognized as, um, as a vaccine reaction. So, I mean, that's, it just gets, it just gets ignored. It just gets ignored. That's not even acknowledged that that could be a possibility. So how do we actually know that dogs need these vaccines? How, I mean, could, could it be that it started, you know, way back when, and it was started on false pretenses and we just keep doing it. How do we know that they even need this stuff? Right. That's a really good question. And I'm more and more, I'm saying they don't because um, I recommend them less and less and less. And I see pets get healthier and healthier, not sicker and sicker. And it's the the marketing that goes on. You know, I'm, I'm reading this book about the um, the opioid um, the opioid addiction epidemic, basically, that was created through marketing to to physicians, and it's just it's just really sickening what the companies did, the pharma companies, in the interest of making money. It was all profit driven. These are people that were already like multimillionaires, had more money than they knew what to do with, but they had to come out with the next, you know, the next thing, and. When um, like Oxycontin came out, that came out, they wanted to treat um, more types of pain in people and um, opioids like morphine, you know, physicians were very leery about using them because of their addictive potential as they should have been. So they marketed this Oxycontin that, and in the label, they said, we believe that because it, it was an it was a slower release, um, and what what they told physicians was that this is not going to cause your patients to become addicted because it's a slow release and it's not the big hit. You don't get the sudden high and then the crash, which makes people want to go running for more. They never tested it. They said in the package insert, we believe that because this is extended release, it will not cause addiction. And based on that, they told physicians, this was not addictive. Well, we know how well that worked out. There's millions of people that have suffered the consequences of opioid addiction, but it's all marketing. And so what if that's all they're doing with vaccines? This is just big pharma marketing to veterinarians. They come in, they have this new product, they buy the clinic lunch, they say how great it is, how much money you can make, how much healthier it's going to keep your patients. And these pharmaceutical reps, they're not medical people. I can't believe that veterinarians actually buy stuff based on what they say. They are salespeople and they know how to present things. They know how to present a narrative and it's just all a big script. And that's how medical professionals decide what products to use in their practices. And it's really sad that they don't take the time to step back and, and even investigate how well are these things being researched. It's, it's a sales game. And that's how these things come to be. It has nothing to do with medicine. It's, it's sales and profit. And I have thought for a long time that if we get pets on better diets and we stop vaccinating them, they'll be so much healthier. And I still, I believe that more now than ever, because I think that probably 
90 plus percent of what I treat is poor nutrition and vaccine injury. And I think that's just going to get worse. And it's really sad. And I think if people realized that that veterinarian recommending that vaccine is recommending it based on a sales pitch from a pharmaceutical rep, not from any research that they've done on their own, maybe people would think twice. At least I would hope so. Well, if you think about it, they've had a, they, they have not had two different control groups in the pet world, right? Realistically, I mean, most people take their pets to the vet. Most people vaccinate their dogs. So there's probably less of an unvaccinated group in the pet world than there is in the human world. And you know, they didn't want that. We can't have a comparison. We can't have the group who is not buying into the narrative do better. We can't have that. Right. Right. And I can't wait until Elon Musk releases the Fauci files. Hopefully he's going to do that. But, you know, I think that there's, I certainly don't need any more evidence. I didn't need any more evidence two years ago to know not to do that. But if you look at what we know has happened in the human world, on the human side, and then compare that with the pet side, nobody's ever questioned their vet. Nobody's ever questioned the, the very few, I would say, have questioned the vaccines. And certainly there is not a huge group that you can look at you know, together, yes, there are people over here and over here and over here that have never vaccinated their dogs who don't have the itchies, who don't have, you know, hot spots, who don't have uh, neurological problems and hip problems and gut problems and all that kind of stuff. And we can say, uh, based on what we've seen in other dogs, nah, something's not right with the vaccinated, right? In on the on the dog side. But there's nothing like that. And I wonder when or if that will ever happen. I, I don't know. Yeah, I, you're right. And it's a really good point. You know, we don't have that comparison. I mean, I see it in my own practice, but, you know, I it's very rare that I see pets that have had no vaccines and then people will opt to absolutely do no vaccines because, you know, there's this fear of like the rabies, you know, there's this fear of, well, what if I get caught without my rabies shot and all that stuff. And my feeling is if it's going to, if it, if there's no risk, real risk of your pet getting rabies, and there's a pretty good chance that your dog could have a reaction to that rabies shot, then, you know, I'll take the risk. I'm not, I wouldn't do it. I mean, from my own pet, I mean, I respect people's choices and everybody's circumstances are different. People want to travel with their pet or whatever. But my feeling is if you, if it's something, there's a high chance of your pet having an adverse reaction that could last for the rest of its life, then don't do it. But it's, it's, it's hard for people to, it's hard for people to get on board with that. And it's hard for people to push back when they're at the vet, but that's, that's what they need to do. People need to take, take, take control and be responsible for your pet. Same like with your own health, you know, you don't put things in your body. You don't want in your body yet. People seem to roll over pretty, pretty quick for it. You know, a vet says, Oh, your pet needs these vaccines or they're going to die from such and such uh, disease. Then a lot of people roll over to that. Well, I mean, come on. If, in like in California, if a if a doctor, if it's against the law for a doctor now to go against the state yeah. narrative, don't you think there's something wrong with that? Oh my if, gosh. Yeah, it's awful. Right? If if someone who has made a product does not want the information about that product or about that crime or about that lawsuit to be released for decades don't you think there's a problem there if transparency is a problem there's a problem right 
And we see that over and over and over again. And people just accept that. And it's like, how can you accept that? How could you raise a family, Dr. Jasek, of humans? Let's say, let's take the dogs out of the equation. In California, knowing that you're never, if that's the law, and they're going to come down on those doctors if they don't follow the state narrative, could you ever feel safe that your doctor was actually telling you the truth? Right. You couldn't. And you could, that willing? would be so scary. So, so scary. And is that, is that going to come here? Yeah, I, I hope not. But I mean, I think California is going to be, I mean, it's California is a test, you know, they're, they are going to be, um, you know, they're going to see if this can fly there, if they can get it to pass, then I bet other states are going to follow suit. So I sure hope it it doesn't. I mean, or, or I know there's lawsuits now against it, that it's unconstitutional and, you know, violates, you know, um, the patient doctor privileges and all of that. So we'll we'll see what happens. But anymore, they seem to be able to make whatever rules they want and doesn't, you know, doesn't have to make sense, doesn't have to be constitutional or ethical or anything so it'll be it'll be interesting interesting to see but yeah that is really scary um it makes me never want to have to participate in the in the conventional medical system i said to someone yesterday because as you know um here in colorado now if you go to the grocery store then you're going to be charged 10 cents per bag, whether that's plastic or whether that's paper, that has now gone into effect. And I said, uh, you know, at Natural Grocers, uh, I said, well, you guys didn't really have to deal with that, right? Because you do boxes. And they said, yeah, but we are so far behind. We are lagging so far behind. California has had that in effect for blah, blah, blah. I said, well, please, Let's follow California, shall we? Because they're doing so great in everything that they do. They are so worried about plastic, but they are not worried about the homelessness. They are not worried about all the needles on the beaches. They're not worried about the drugs that are going on. They're not worried about a lot of stuff, but let's worry about the the bags. I mean, I get it, but come on. Seriously? I said, I don't, I don't really want to be following in California's footsteps. No, no, not at all. I think they looked at me like this lady's having a really bad day, but (laughs) I, I was just like, seriously, it's sort of like that same thinking, um, about when you're feeding a raw diet and then your dog has some sort of reaction to flea and tick and heartworm or the rabies or antibiotics and you call wanting to know what's wrong with the clean raw food it's like let's not worry about look what you just did you know let's worry about the right things but sometimes i really think that they throw that stuff out there to be a distraction from what we really should be worrying about right totally totally i mean you don't i mean i've read you know heard stories about how bad like the homeless problem is and areas of California, San Francisco and stuff like they have to go clean human feces off the sidewalks in the mornings and stuff. Cause there's so many homeless people. You don't ever hear that on the evening news though. I mean, people that are there obviously see it, but they don't talk about that. No, they talk about plastic bags at the grocery store, you know, like really like what's really important here. Well, I, um, I got something in my news today about somebody was eating the face off of another person. What? Oh, gosh. Well, yeah. I don't know oh. whether this was in New York or where was this? Um, it, somebody was doing a little bit of can- cannibalism. Oh, uh, seriously? Like chewing a on someone's, person? <laughs> chewing on someone's ear. I was like, what oh in the world is going on here? Um, so the, the world has gone just just a little bit mad, Dr. JC. But I hope that in this world of madness that we can bring a little stability, a little reassurance, a little confidence 
to our raw feeders because I'm telling you, I'm seeing it coming. They're going to start pushing the, you're a bad person if you eat meat. You're a bad person if you don't feed bugs. You're a bad person if um, if you have dogs of a certain size because they're leaving too mm. big of a footprint. Right. Um, you know, so there's a lot of things that are going to come down. So we really got to get our mind straight. We've got to get our heart in the right place. And we've got to get our team around us. Who are we going to listen to? Right? Who are we going right. to listen to? Uh, what are we going to do? Are we going to trust our own eyes? Or are we going to just do the, um, I see nothing, I hear nothing. I do nothing. Right? Trust right. me, that is not going to be a good um, a good protocol. I think, I think the most important thing that we need to do right now is be careful who you're getting your information from. Cause there's a lot of people that are, you know, kind of sound like they're, you know, not like non-establishment, not part of the greater agenda, but their information is not always so great. So you have to be really careful who you trust. Like you were just saying, you have people around you that you know you you can trust and trust who you're getting your information from. Um, I think that's super important. And I think that's going to become even more important this year because um, I think the propaganda agendas are just going to get greater and greater. And um, yeah, they're going to be putting a whole bunch of stuff out there and even all this stuff about the coal carbon footprint bs which i do think it's bs um carbon dioxide is not the problem in our world that they would you know like us to believe it is carbon dioxide is actually good for plants um they're they're using that to promote their artificial meat and all that we could have very healthy ecosystems plants and animals together and not be having it um, negatively impacting the environment. That's completely doable. It's possible to grow food in that way. And the problems are not what, what they're saying. The problem is the overuse of fertilizers and over-tilling the soil so we don't have topsoil left. The, the problems are there, but the cause of the problems is not what, not what they're telling us. Yeah, I mean, do you ever hear people get up in arms about Monsanto. I mean, you do here and there, but right now the big thing is on plastics. And I'm not saying that plastics isn't a big deal, but, but who allowed the plastics to come in and be a big deal? Why weren't we talking about this a long time ago? Right. Because yeah. it was money. There was a lot yeah. of money. Um, it, it's just so, I, I don't know. I don't know. We can't get too far out on the spokes. We can only deal with what we can uh, deal with. But again, um, when it comes to pet health, we have to really start asking the questions. Why Why are we doing this? What, what, what is the truth? And most of the time, um, I will hear people push back on the polio and the chicken pox and all that jazz. And, um, you know, there, there's a, there's a, there's a truth about that. And, and there's a narrative about that. Right. And I'm speaking from the vaccines. So that's mm -hmm. the one thing that they hang their hats on the vaccines. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. We, we, we've just seen such death and destruction. Certainly, uh, it's been very much in our face in this last two years. Um, you know, I was reading something yesterday, 200 I think 75, maybe 274 uh, athletes have actually died suddenly this year. Mm. And these are the people who have the strongest, you know, hearts. They're, they're well-trained. They're typically well-fed um, and in great shape. And they're just up and dying. That's not normal. That's not normal. Mm -hmm. And so we need to say why. And and I don't think it's a video games. Isn't that one of the narratives that was being pushed? Something like that. It's people watching videos. Something stupid. That's like causing wanna... people to collapse suddenly. Right. You know, something. You know, right. I was listening to um, an interview with Dr. Peter McCullough. He was talking about this, you know, this NFL player that um, collapsed on Monday Night Football, and he said they used to 
screen um, pro athletes for my, myocarditis and they quit doing it because they didn't think it was a risk or they, they started doing it. I think even like during COVID they were doing it. And then they said, we don't think that athletes that have had COVID are at a higher risk for myocarditis. So they quit um, checking them for that. They used to just do routine screenings. They do like MRIs on them, make sure their hearts were healthy. Well, they quit doing it. Well, now enter the vaccine and have all these people dropping. Well, they're not looking for that anymore. Hmm. How convenient is that? That we just stopped looking to see if there might be an association here as soon as the vaccines started rolling out. So I thought, you know, that was really interesting that they stopped looking for the very thing that was starting to, you know, starting to happen, starting to show up. I mean, just connect the dots. Like, I don't care how many reasons they come up for it. We did not used to have this many people dropping dead on the field. I mean, I'm more and more strongly discouraging vaccinating pets because I just don't think we have any idea what we're putting into them. And like I said, I, I just, I don't think we should be making our pets guinea pigs or us. I mean, that was my, my whole thing from the get-go about the COVID injection was like, this thing is brand new. Nobody's even tested it. I'm not signing up for experiment. I'll be the control group. That's what I say. I volunteered to be in the control group. I'll be that control person so we can see the difference between, you know, um, vaccinated and unvaccinated. Um, but um, I think I think using anything new, new products out on the market, especially these days, you're just signing your pet up for a big science experiment and with completely, you know, unknown consequences. So I... I would not do it. Well, this is the value that you have working with someone like Dr. Judy Jasek over ahavet.com. She is now totally dedicated to telemedicine. Also, if you are a vet or a vet tech out there that is wanting to learn how to um, create an out-of-the-box business, this is what Dr. Jasek can teach you how to do without breaking the bank, without um, fear that somebody is going to come and, you know, stick a gun to your head and close you down. <laughs> right. So right. there's, there's a lot of narratives that are out there that aren't true. And you want to get with Dr. Judy Jasek and, you know, pick her brain, sign up for a consult. I think it's the best time that you can spend. You really want to talk to people that have gone through the fire, right? You don't want somebody that has a hypothesis that they've never checked out that they've never lived, that they've never, um, they, they, they're telling you about a path that you can take, which they have never walked themselves. There's a lot of those right. people out there. So get over and get yourself a consult. If you've been presented with a diagnosis or your dog's been presented with a diagnosis and you've been uh, given an invoice with $3,000 worth of test, I think uh, spending a, a a very, very small amount to have a consult with Dr. Jasek would be beneficial. So get over to ahavet.com and get signed up with her to do that. Get your dog on a species appropriate diet. There's nothing in this food, guys. It's meat, bones, organ, and fat. There's a lot of different proteins. I know some of you get overwhelmed. So just hit the I'm overwhelmed button. We'll help you out. But I, basically... Start with the two blends that Dr. Jasek and I love to recommend. That's going to be the Wolfram Plus and the Turkey PNR. Start right there and see how your dogs do. Rotate them every meal, um, every other meal, or at least don't go longer than a week to two weeks on the same protein before you start switching out those proteins. Okay, that's it. That's basic. Perfect. It's easy. Get over to rawdogfoodandco.com where your pet's health is our business we're friends. Don't let friends feed kibble. We'll see you next week, everybody. Bye-bye. Oh, snap. Find out how you can start your dog on the road to health and longevity. Go to rawdogfoodandcompany.com, where friends don't let friends feed kibble and where your pet's health is our business. Just snap. Just snap.